Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning I want to share with us about being a follower of Jesus. And if you'll read from the Gospels from the beginning all the way through, you'll discover that Jesus always urged people to follow him. The beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, he encouraged people to follow him. Well, look in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, at the beginning of the onset of his ministry, He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon and called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and did what? It's easy to read that, isn't it? But if that's your livelihood, and you just up and leave it and walk away from it and just start following Jesus, would you call that a challenge? I think it would be for everyone. Then look at Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. And then at the end of his ministry, look at John, this is after his resurrection, uh, John 21. Remember, he's talking to Peter who denied him three times, and he finally had him confirm his love for him by saying, Yeah, I do love you, Lord. Then spake he, signifying but what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Only Peter would do that. You realize that? Only Peter. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. In other words, follow my plan for your life, not my plan for his life. John's going to do what I want him to do, but I want you to do what I want you to do. So follow me, which is why it's very personal. Can you see that? We all have to do what he wants us to do. Now, there's a general revealed will of God that we can follow, but also there's a specific will of God that we need to follow as well. Well, the question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Does following Jesus mean that um, I go to church? Well, I went to church for 24 years, the first 24 years of my life, but I wasn't following Jesus at all. Didn't even know him as my Savior and my Lord. Well, what about this? Does it mean I give to the poor? Cornelius gave to the poor, but he had to send for Peter so he can get him saved. He wasn't following Jesus, right? Obviously. Well, what about I'm a religious person? The Jews were very religious, weren't they? Very religious. And there's a lot of religious people in the world. Does it mean that they're following Jesus? 
No, they're not following Jesus. So it has to do with more than that. And then what about I pray? A lot of people pray. Uh, as I said earlier, when Paul went to Greece in Athens and Mars Hill, he wrote an inscription where they were praying to an unknown God. They were praying. Were they following Jesus? No, none of them were following Jesus. So really, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I believe we can sum it up with two statements. Following Jesus means I am hearing his teachings and become a doer of those teachings. And secondly, I'm also imitating his example. And from that, we can get a lot of information. So to be a follower of Jesus means I'm going to sit at his feet, listen to his teachings, and then purpose in my heart to be obedient to his teachings. And then secondly, I'm going to see to it that whatever example he says for me to follow, I'm going to imitate that example. Amen? Absolutely. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and here we have the words of Jesus. Luke began his uh, rendition of this by saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you, you don't do what I say? Imagine that question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Why is that important to know? Because if you're calling someone Lord, it means that he's the Lord of your life. And whatever he tells you to do, that's what you're going to do. No questions asked. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not, he'll be likened to a foolish man, which built his house upon sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So in other words, it's more than just hearing the teachings of Jesus. It's hearing and purposing to do the teachings of Jesus that qualifies us to be a follower of Jesus. But now look over here in John's Gospel. Because here we see an example and as we set this up in John 13, you realize what's taking place during this particular time. The disciples were questioning among themselves, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? I want to sit at your right hand and I want to, and so on and so forth. Right? Well, what does Jesus do? He gives them an illustration. If I then be your Lord and master have washed your feet. Now that's the lowest form of servanthood. Think about that. It's unheard of that the master would wash the feet of his students. It's understandable that the students would want to wash the feet of their master. But Jesus, to settle them all down, being their master, their Messiah and Lord of all, he washes their feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Here's the example I want you to follow. That you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily. A double verily means this is extremely important. I say that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So here he sets an example of humility. He is the second person of deity who robed himself in flesh, who became a man. That is incomprehensible. But yet he did it. 
but he also was obedient to death, even the death of the cross, which takes it to another level and depth of humility. And he conducted himself in a way that we are to follow. In other words, we're to love each other and be humble and practice humility in our lives. And that's the example that he set. So if I will hear his teachings and follow them, and if I'll follow his example by imitating his example, that's called being a follower of Jesus. See, it's not just going to church or praying. These are the things that qualify. Now, from that, I have listed some of these things that will help us better gauge exactly where we're at. And remember, I'm saying this so you can evaluate your neighbor. Oh, I'm sorry. So you can evaluate your husband. I got some heads nodded. Yes. <laughs> so you can evaluate your wife. Determine how well she's doing in following Jesus. No, I don't think so. It's for yourself. To evaluate my walk with him. How closely am I following my Savior? So number one, first things first. Repent and be born again. John's Gospel, chapter 1. You know the story of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily. There's that double verily. He wasn't just, uh, you know, looking out for more words. A double verily means this is extremely important, what I'm saying to you. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, was Nicodemus religious? Yes. Was he following the law, the Jewish law? Yes. He was a member of the Sanhedrin? Yes. So he qualifies, let's say, to be someone who was religious in his life and supposedly pursuing God. Well, was he following Jesus? Not really. No. Jesus told him to follow me. You've got to be born again. You want to make the kingdom of God? You've got to repent, have a change of heart, have a change of mind, and experience what is called a new birth. Nicodemus was sincere. But he says, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus says to him, look, Nicodemus, what is born of the flesh is flesh. But what is born of the spirit is spirit. How don't you understand these things being a teacher in Israel? You should understand this. I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth of your spirit on the inside of you. And marvel not, Nicodemus, that I'm saying to you, you must. Everybody say must. must. Not could. Not should, but must be born again. My question is, have you been born again? I don't want anybody at the sound of my voice to miss heaven. I want us all to be there. You're real thuse about that. I can, I can really tell. You want to be there? You want your church family to be there? You want your family to be there? Amen. Your friends? Your work associates, you want them to be there? Yes. Then they must be what? Born again. Born again.
They've got to recognize they're a sinner. They're lost. They're on their way to the lake of fire. And praise God, Jesus made provision so that they can make their way to eternal glory. All they have to do is accept Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. And they can have heaven throughout their days. Number two. If we're following Him, then we love Him. Look at Mark. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now notice how this is laid out. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Your spiritual condition, your heart. This man on the inside needs to be born again. And what did you do? You gave it over to Jesus. You gave your heart to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He came in by his spirit. He gave you a brand new heart and a brand new life. You passed from death to life. You've honored him. You worshiped him with your heart. But then you've got your soul. What's your soul? It's comprised of your mind, will, emotions, and intellect. So the soulless part of man means the emotional part of man. Did you notice that you've got emotions? Sure you do. We all have emotions, don't we? And those emotions want to dictate to our lives, don't they? You feel this way, you don't feel that way, and whatever. He's saying, I want you to worship me with your emotions. I don't really feel like worshiping today. Did he ask you whether or not you felt like it? Mm -mm. You know, praise the Lord, all ye people, if you feel like it. No, he didn't say that. So in other words, we need to, if we really want to follow him, we've got to do something with our emotions that really run cross-grain with what God is telling us to do. How many of you feel like loving your enemy? You don't feel like it. How many of you feel like forgiving someone sometimes? And you wish that he extended the 24-hour period to maybe 48, 72, or even longer? No. Our emotions are to be crucified. And we say, Lord, I may, feel like be, I may feel like doing this or that or the other thing, but you know what? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to set those emotions aside and act on truth. So your heart, your soul, your mind, and remember this, that's where we choose our will. That's where we make decisions as to what we're going to do, right? The choices that we make. So what choices are we going to make? Ones that glorify God. And that's how we follow Jesus. When I make a decision, I make a choice that I'm going to do whatever. Give my tithe and my offering. Go to church on Sunday. Pray for someone. Whatever it might be, I'm making a choice. When you're a young person, and I went through this with my children, and here you are, you're taught in the things of God. But you're surrounded by other peers that put pressure on you to do something that's really out of character for you as a Christian. They want you to get involved with drugs. They want you to go off and get drunk. And, you know, maybe you're on the sports team, a football player, basketball player, soccer player, whatever. Maybe you're a cheerleader, whatever. And they say, after this game is over, let's go off and we're going to have a party. We're all going to drink. We're going to get drunk. We're going to do whatever. You make a choice. You make a decision to say... Go ahead, I'll be the designated driver. How about it? Right? You're not popular until you're driving them home. But you make a choice, you make a decision that you are a follower of Jesus and not a follower of the crowd. And we're not going to let peer pressure dictate to what we do. We're letting Jesus dictate to what we do. You may be persecuted for that, but that's okay. 
God has something better for you. Amen. And then with your body, your flesh, your heart, your soul, your mind and your body, your flesh. The things that we do in this natural world that we live in, the places that we go to, etc., etc. You can understand the whole point here. Following Jesus means I'm giving him all of me, not just some of me. A lot of people think being born again is all sufficient. That means, okay, I'm in the kingdom now, and it doesn't matter what I do. And that's the reason why I really have come against what is called this extreme grace teaching. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. No. Mm -mm. They're forgiven. They're provided for past, present, and future. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Right? To repent means to turn around and go in another direction. We're to perfect holiness in the fear of God. So coming to Christ and following him means he sets a new standard for our lives. Amen. And we follow that standard. And if it means I make right choices, then I make right choices and do things God's way. We witness for him is number three. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because of what he's done for us. We want to tell others. You know, when I first started witnessing for Jesus, people would say things like, keep your religion to yourself. I can't. I respect what you say. You want to hear it? That's okay. But I can't. I've got to tell somebody. Why? Because I've been commissioned. If we love him, we'll do what he said. Look at Matthew 28. Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or of the age. Now, think about three things he, he just stated here. Number one, he makes a claim. He makes a claim that only he can make. All power in heaven and earth is given to Buddha. No. Just want to make sure you're awake this morning. <laughs> given to whom? To me. Can anybody else make that claim? No, no one else can make that claim. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore. He gives a command that only he can make. A command to do what? Commission to do what? Go into all the world. These individuals couldn't do that. This is not just for them. Every single one of us has a world that we live in, a circle of influence that we're around, and we can let people know about the life-changing truths of the gospel. So to be a follower of Jesus says, I'm going to represent you as an ambassador and I'm going to do my best to let people know that you love them and that you died for them so they can also be a part of the kingdom. But then also he provides one more thing. It's a claim only he can make. It's a command only he can give. But then also it's a comfort that only he can provide. Lo, I am with you always. It'd be nice if your name was Lo. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. In other words, when you do this, you are not alone. When you stand there and you look your peers in the eyes and you say, I'll go with you and I'll drive you home, but I'm not going to do that. He is standing right there by your side to comfort you, saying, I am with you when you make that right choice, when you make that decision to say yes to this or to say no to that. Isn't that good to know? 
Amen. Look at the next one. You're a person of prayer. Here's an example to follow. Oh, would to God anybody can do this. Came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now, does that necessarily mean you have to be up all night praying? Well, you can if you want to. But what's it talking about? A close follower of Jesus understands the value and the importance of prayer. We need to be in contact with heaven to carry out his purposes in the earth. And so prayer is nothing more than just joining forces together with God to accomplish those purposes. If Jesus, the perfect, spotless son of God, had to spend some quality time in prayer, where does that leave all of us? We all need to pray, right? So whether you get up in the morning and you start your day off in prayer by believing God for certain things and contacting heaven, it's up to you, the choice that you make. But a close follower of Jesus will see to it they understand and recognize the value of a productive prayer life. We want to join forces together with you, Lord, today. What do you want done? Look at the next one, number five. Uh, you're, well, we didn't read Luke 6. Did, oh, yeah, we did. Okay, look at number five. Matthew 18. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Notice that statement. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Wow. If you read that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, it's instructing us to forgive others as we've been forgiven by God. Right? Anybody here been forgiven? Has your sin debt been paid in full? Aren't you free from eternal suffering in the lake of fire? And what qualifies you for that freedom? The blood of Jesus that paid your sin debt. So you've been forgiven and the blood of Jesus has cleansed you and made you whole. Now someone does something that according to what Jesus just taught, this Matthew 18 principle here, someone did something to rub you the wrong way. And you say, and I've heard Christians say, I'm never going to forgive them for that. I just won't. I refuse to. See, that's a choice that you're making, which you can make, but you're not following God with your choices when you do that. But you don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter how awful what they did. What matters is, You've been forgiven the $25 billion debt. I've increased it from million to billion because, you know, nobody got it last night. Okay? You've been forgiven the $25 billion debt and someone owes you a quarter. And you take them in before the magistrate and put them in jail because they didn't pay back the quarter? That's how he wants us to see this. Didn't I have pity on you, he said? Yeah. Well, then you have pity on them like I had pity on you. There's your example. Oh. Peter thought that he was really big on forgiveness. And when he told his disciples, you got to forgive. Of course, you know, Peter, very loud and boisterous. Well, Lord, how many times? Like seven times seven? As if Jesus was going <laughs> to applaud him for, yeah, 49 times. He said, no, no, 70 times 7, Peter. 
What? Peter says, increase our faith. You've got to increase our faith. No. All you need to do is understand how it works. You've been forgiven. And no matter what someone does to you, forgive them. It doesn't mean you don't have the feelings because it's not based on feelings. Your feelings will line up as long as you and I do what? Make a decision to forgive. So someone who follows Jesus will follow this example and say, I will forgive no matter what, no matter how I feel. Look at the next one. Obedience is key if I'm going to follow him. Matter of fact, in John's gospel, we can see Luke 8, uh, Luke 8 here. But in John's gospel, he said, if you love me, then you're going to keep my commandments. He that loves me not doesn't keep my commandments. Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me, are we following him? Not going to walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And the truth of God's word is the light of life. So walking in the light is important to him. And if we're going to follow him, then we're going to walk in the light of his counsel, walk in the light of his word, and be obedient to do what he said to do, even though it may be challenging to us. So the true acid test of our love for him is what? We obey him. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel, I believe it is, he said that um, it's more important to be obedient than it is to offer sacrifice. He would prefer that we will obey him than disobey him and honor, offer a sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Number seven. And remember, this is for you to take home and maybe just go over these particular points in your own life and just evaluate yourself and just say, you know, am I forgiving the way he's forgiven me? Am I holding any grudges? Etc. Okay, serve him, number seven. Look at John 12, verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. So if you say you serve him, then follow his example or his teaching. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good? To know that the Father will honor those that make a decision to serve Him by following Him. So we're following His example. We're following His teachings. So in order to do so, and this is sad. When I was growing up in those first 24 years of being in church, this book was a closed book. And I was not told to open it up. I was told to keep it closed. And I was told that the clergy would explain to me what this book is all about, and I wasn't smart enough to understand it. So guess what? My, this is small. This big family Bible, you could hardly, you could work out with it, was on my coffee table. And I probably shouldn't say that it was dusty, but... Probably was dusty. <laughs> Never opened it up. I took to heart what I was told from a little one. You can understand it. Only we can understand it. We'll explain things to you. You follow church doctrine. You keep that book. Now I know why. They wanted this book to be a closed book to me. Didn't want me to know what was in it. Didn't want me to think for myself to find out what God was truly all about. 
and what it meant to walk with him. And so when I got born again, I went right on back to the clergy and I said to them, I've been born again. Hallelujah. I didn't realize I was walking into a trap when I did this, but wow. I go back and I tell them I've been born again. I want to serve. What can I do here to serve God? What do you mean you've been born again? I've been born again. He goes, you can't believe everything in that book. I said, what? You can't believe everything in that book. You listen to church doctrine. You listen to us. Oh, really? Oh, I found right away. I made my mass exodus right away. Because then I asked another couple of questions. And when I got answers to those questions, I said, hmm. So you're asking me to honor church doctrine above the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. And he said, yes. Okay. That was the last time I was in that church. I walked out and said, that's it. I'm not here anymore. You know what? Don't even look to me. Open the book for yourself. People want to know why I give so many scriptures. You don't want to know what I think. You want to know what he thinks. You want to know what he said and what he spoke. So that way you've got a sure foundation beneath you. Amen? Amen? And I want to point these things out from scripture as well. Now, hear and do his word. We talked about that in Matthew. We won't look at it again. But hear and do his word. So why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? Now, is it always easy to do what he said to do? No, not usually. Matter of fact, he'll tell us and ask us to do some difficult things. Like, love your enemy. And he tells you how. Pray for them that abuse you. Speak well of them that speak evil of you. Do good to those who hate you. Huh, top of my list this morning, Lord. Hmm, yeah, I'll do that. You don't feel like doing that. No one does. Matter of fact, you probably don't even think about it. But Jesus was pointing that out to let us know. He goes, look, the rain falls on the good and the evil. The sun shines both for the good and the evil. If you just love people that love you, what do you think you've done? But if you love those that hate you, now you're perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Is that an easy thing to do? It's simple, but it's not easy. Look at the next one, the one we really love the most. Number nine on the list. Suffer for him. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, once again, in our Western mentality, you know, we have a difficult time relating to that kind of suffering. And so what's happened, the church in, in, in Western culture, it's like, I gotta, this is my cross to bear. I've got to suffer this mole on my arm or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. I'm not talking about a sickness or a disease. When you take a stand for Christ in the days of the early church, you were excommunicated from your church. You were hunted by the apostle Paul, who then was Saul of Tarsus. You were thrown into prison and waiting to be beheaded. So when we talk about suffer for his namesake, we're talking about suffering persecution, suffering rejection. Go back to the group, the peer pressure they put on you. You suffer being an outcast. They want to hang out with people that are walking in darkness, not someone who represents the light. You see, the light comes in. They're blinded by the light. They don't want to hear anything about your convictions or anything like that. Now, they're trying to get you to come into their circle. You're trying to get them to come into your circle. And we need divine intervention. 
So the thing is, you may suffer rejection. You may suffer persecution. They may laugh at you and mock you, etc., etc., etc. Why? Because the light and the darkness don't mix. Right? They just don't. So you and I may suffer persecution for his namesake. When the apostles suffered, they would go away and flee. What they would do, they would rejoice that they were actually counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. What an example to follow. But you see, in our culture here in America, we don't get a whole lot of that. Not typically. We don't get that kind of persecution where your own family member will turn you in to the authorities because you called upon the name of Jesus or you were baptized. We have baptism service, just had one. Wonderful. Some people came with their family, their friends, and they supported them and they saw them get baptized in water. If you got baptized in water back then and you were a Jew, oh, you better look out. Because what you're saying is you're making your break from Judaism and you're coming over to Christianity. And your mother and father would turn you in. Your closest relatives would turn you in for persecution. Why? To get you to recant. To get you to deny the blood of Jesus Christ by which you've been sanctified and set apart. Why do you think they died martyrs' death? You talk about persecution. They would die a martyrs' death. We've never been confronted that way in our culture here in America. But can you imagine being the one who the authorities tell you, deny Christ or you'll be burned at the stake? Take your pick. And that's what they did. They said, I picked Jesus. Okay. Did you ever read the book of martyrs? Did you ever read that book? How some of them died? How being at, burned at the stake, one was told, look, we support you. We're with you. And we're praying for you. We know tomorrow you're going to be being burnt at the stake for your convictions about Christianity. Our hearts go out to you. So you have to be in an underground church. But you know what? While we're watching this happen and you're up there on that pole and you're being burned at the stake, if you can sense the grace of God, if you can sense the power of God operating on your behalf, would you give us the thumbs up and let us know? And while that person was being burned at the stake, and they saw his body just being consumed. He just looked up and gave him a thumb up. No pain. Nothing. And then he left his body. That's something. But we're not confronted that way with our decisions. And so we have to suffer persecution. And we think we, think we suffer in this country? Mm-mm. No way. And finally, and again, not exhaustive. We receive the Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John 7? In the last days, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice that he says that they that believe on him should receive. He's telling his disciples, when you come to me, receive the Holy Spirit after that. So God wants us to be led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, receive the fullness of the Spirit, 
So the Spirit could have His place in us so that we can experience guidance and direction that comes from the very throne of God. So these are some of the things. But the goal that we have in mind, the goal, should always be in all of our lives is that I want to emulate the life of Christ. I want to conform to the very image of Christ. I want him to reproduce his life in me. What a tall order. Look at 1 John chapter 2. My, this is from the message translation of the Bible. What a tall order. See, to follow Christ is more than just going to church. To follow Christ is more than just giving to the poor. Following Christ is more than just being religious. It's more than just praying. Can you see this? And here it is. If someone claims, I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life Jesus did. In the King James, it says, He that says he abides in him or lives in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Oh my goodness, did that have to be in the Bible? What's it saying? All this stuff that's going on around us is not to take away from our goal. The goal is to do what? Emulate the life of Christ, to conform to the image of Jesus, to walk even as he walked, to love our enemies as he did, forgive as he did. And the list goes on and on. Wow. We need to hear this in our country today. I believe that. Because if our leaders recognize what I'm saying today, they would not have changed the laws of marriage. How can the created one change the government of the creator? Do they have a right to do that? No. All right. Here it is. Our desire should be to get to the place that we think, speak, and act like Jesus. Is that our desire? Yes. That should be if it's not. So let's look at some. Just We'll close with these three things I have listed here. Look at Matthew. This is from the message translation. So let's talk about changing the way we think, act, and speak. You're familiar with the command to the ancients. Of course they were. They knew the law. Do not murder. Right. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. Uh-oh. Jesus just raised the bar. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Ooh. Wow. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Wow. Whoa. Death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. Look at the, how he raised our consciousness, our conscious awareness of what sin really is all about. I didn't kill him. No, not with a knife or a gun, but with your words. He's trying to educate us to let us know, look, when my life is in you, you're going to act different. You're going to think different. 
you're going to speak different. Look at the next one. In Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. One of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. Once again, he raises the bar. And ladies, it means the opposite too. Just to let you know. It goes both ways. And then Matthew 6, 1 through 4, look at these verses, again from the message translation. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. I like that, don't you? When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action. I'm sure. Play actors. I call them treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause. True. But that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and ob obtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Well, wow. Wow. So life isn't a stage. We're not performing so people can see us. It's like the wo woman that gave her little mites. Remember that woman? Gave her little, put in her two mites? Right. So someone puts in, uh, let's say, $100. But she puts in a penny or two. And Jesus said she gave more. She wasn't parading anything. The conclusion of my message this morning is for all of us to take to heart. Let's evaluate ourselves not somebody else, to determine where we're at spiritually, to see how closely we're following Jesus. Are we walking with Him? Are we emulating His life? Since we become a child of God, are we more emulating His life or less, is the question. I believe the church needs to hear more messages like this. Thank God for all the blessings that we have. But this is the biggest challenge that we have here. You know why? Because by this, all men will know you're my disciple because we emulate his life. He sees his life in every single one of us. And what a tall order it is.